Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Mom Hour. I'm Sarah Powers here on a Friday with Megan Francis. Happy Friday, Megan. Hello. Happy Friday to you. Well, new listeners, every once in a while, we do like to surprise you with an episode you didn't know was coming, and I'm really excited about today. It feels like a very fall uh, week where I am. How are you doing, Megan? Your kids are finally back in school. Does it feel fallish? Are you fallishness in your vibe over there? I mean, today was like the last couple of days have actually, the weather is still very warm. We're having a very warm fall, but it's it's cool enough that I can feel you know, the fall is in the air and I've been doing a lot around my house. One of the things um, I just did was get a dumpster Nice. and it's sitting in my driveway right now and I'm going to begin filling it with things. And Sarah, that is going to play very well into the topic of today's episode because every time I do this probably once every two years, I just, cause like we, you know, you can't fit everything in your trash can. Sometimes they're like too big or get stuff to get rid of. And I realized how much junk we have and how much extra stuff we buy and how much I don't need any of it. And today we're talking about sustainability specifically in the kitchen, but like it, you know, the same principles apply everywhere, right? Oh, absolutely. There's nothing more satisfying than being able to get rid of things in bulk. So, but then it also makes you think, why did I have all these things to begin with? Right. Right. (laughs) Well, we can all be inspired by each other and I think this time of year lends itself to little improvements in all kinds of areas of life. And that is definitely kind of the framework we're taking today. So we are talking about small steps towards sustainability in the kitchen. Keyword small and second keyword sustainable, which can really be about anything from like how you buy your food, where you source your food to maybe using less plastic or wasting less. And there's a whole bunch of things that we can kind of lump into that category of, you know, doing better by the planet. So I'm excited about this. I am too. And actually, there's a third use of the word sustainable because we want to be sustainably sustainable, correct? Like we're we're trying to incorporate new, like sustainable practices in our homes and kitchens specifically today. But we want to do that in a sustainable way, which means we can keep doing it. Um, So I like that there's like a little double entendre there. I have to share that um, I just dug these mesh bags that I bought right before COVID. I bought them to buy pro to put produce in like in the grocery store, because I find the plastic bags really annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, you know, now in the like COVID era, I got very, I got very aware about how much I like touch stuff when I'm trying to open those plastic bags. And like, I used to mm-hmm. lick my fingers to do that anyway, because <laughs> you can't open them. You know what I mean? That is not a sustainable practice. That is not Let's a sustainable that practice. Right well, I surely did at the beginning of COVID. Let me tell you that. But also I stopped going to the grocery store for quite kind of a long time. So I ended up stuffing those mesh bags into the bottom of a drawer in my kitchen. And they've been sitting there for at least 18 months, probably more like 19 months. And I have a really funny, quick little story to share. Something about, even though I didn't use them for 18 months, 
that knowing that they were home stashed away in a drawer. And I would think about them literally every time because I did eventually start going to the grocery store again. That's when I had the conviction about not licking my fingers anymore to open plastic bags. Mm -hmm. But I would look at the plastic bag and be like, if I had only brought those mesh bags right now, I wouldn't be in this dilemma. And, and then what I started doing was just just not putting the produce in any plastic bag, which yeah. was always available to me as an option. It's not the best option. Sometimes stuff's too little or like, you know, right. rolls around or there's a lot of it. But anyway, just buying and having those bags, even though I didn't actually find them for 18 months, um, did lead to a mindset shift. And it did actually change my habits. Like the step was so small. It was literally just buying something. I didn't even use it. And then I did just pull them out and put them in a safe place or like a, a what's the word I'm looking for? Like a, a convenient place where I yeah. will be able to grab them and use them. So, you know, it's never too late, right? So there may be something in your house right now that you can go put into action like today in a very minor way. I think that is a great example of how we hope this episode comes across because anytime we talk about any kind of self-improvement or um, something that you want to get a little bit better at, I think that temptation is to compare your journey. I'm going to use that in air quotes because it's kind of an annoying word. Compare your kitchen sustainability journey or your like fitness journey to somebody else's. And I think what can happen, unfortunately, is we can make ourselves feel really bad. So if I talk about how I'm actually composting now in today's episode, Megan, and somebody else is barely getting a handle on just the regular roadside recycling program in their town, it's not a comparison thing. It's about exactly what you said, like what small behavior changes are possible within the context of how you're already living your life. And I think, unfortunately, sometimes that comparison trap or like all or nothing thinking like, well, I can't grow all my own food and compost it and put it back into the earth. So, well, I guess like, well, I guess I shouldn't even try. So that black right. and white thinking that getting overwhelmed or not knowing where to start um, and that comparison game, all those things can kind of get in our way or trip us up. And as we were thinking about this episode, that's true, whether you're talking about like parenting or managing a home or any kind of improvement journey that you are on, wanting to read more, take care of your body, take care of your skin, save money, work on your marriage, like all of these things we can get in our own way if we um, set those sites so high or compare ourselves to other people when in fact it's these very small, like you said, your little mesh bags, these very small changes or very small, um, mindset shifts on our own trajectory, wherever we are with that. Yeah. I love that. And I have two little other like, um, traps that I find myself sometimes falling into. One is the, like, I used to do this, but I fell off the wagon. So it's over forever trap. Oh, yeah. Uh, like, <laughs> Like there's things I used to be great about. Like I used to be great about not using a lot of paper in my kitchen. And then sometimes some, you know, life gets in the way and I fall off that wagon. And sometimes it's like really hard to get back on. Like it's, it's easier the first time there's that fresh energy. Mm-hmm. But then if you feel like you failed because you fell off, then it's like almost feels, I don't know, like you were a fraud or like it never happened or didn't yeah. count. And we're here to tell you it did count um, and you can get back to it. Right. So that's, that's one of them. And then the other would be like setting a like a self-imposed deadline. And then if you miss the deadline, you may as well not bother. It's kind of the same as like, if you don't do it huge, it didn't count. Um, Yes. Or if you don't start January 1st, then the whole year is ruined. Yeah. (laughs) It's shot, right? There's that. And then myself personally, like my, the way I approach any kind of like big thing I want to undertake is I make it big. Um, I have a project oriented mindset. I like to tackle things in a big way. And unfortunately, that doesn't really work with things that aren't super fun and exciting for the rest of your life. You know what I mean? That's fun for like getting something off the ground once, but that's (laughs) not what keeps you doing something for the long haul. And literally every time I've made a change, um, like a lasting change, it's been because I've started with a small action that fits easily into my life, or I make it fit easily into my life, which sometimes becomes the project. So sometimes for me, it's almost like I can hack my brain by making the project the project becomes the thing I do to make it easy to do the small thing that's easy mm-hmm. to do. Yeah. Yeah. And then, absolutely. So like I get the excitement and then I also get the ease. So yes. um, those are, that's like a way that I get like a workaround kind of, mm-hmm. but you still have to eventually get around to the small thing. You can't be in like big, like life changing mode all the time. Right. And when you do those big life changing feeling projects, you might 
retain just a few small habits. And I think our our objective with this episode is to say that's okay. In the especially in this realm of kitchen sustainability, anything that has to do with doing better by the planet. Um, another trap I think is really easy to get into is like doing it exactly right. And um, that's something that my personality can get hung up on. And I have to, I don't think you watch The Good Place, do you, Megan? Have you no, never I seen don't. it? Mm-mm. So there's a character who is obsessed with having the right answer, doing things right. And there's a lot of like play that happens with philosophy and like moral philosophy. And it becomes very funny. But the example they always use is he thinks he did not get into heaven because <laughs> he was using almond milk in his coffee because he wanted to be better about dairy. <laughs> and he knew that almond milk uses a ton of resources, water, I think. And yes. so he couldn't make there was no right decision. And I think I laugh at that because, first of all, I kind of relate. But I think especially with environment stuff, especially with climate and sustainability, we get overwhelmed by the amount of information. And if you you think you're doing a good thing by maybe recycling and then you hear like the recycling's all being shipped off overseas yes. and none of it matters. And that can really create some second guessing. So I think all of the, all of this to say the plan is to share some of the very small doable things that you and I have both done in our kitchens in the realm of sustainability and we will offer some little like baby steps if anyone else wants to try to improve in these area, but all with like a huge heap of non-judgment. And like, we don't really know that we're like, what kind of difference we're making either. These are just the little steps that we've made in our own kitchens, I guess. Well, before we dive in, we want to introduce you to the sponsor of this episode, Airly. Sarah, I know both you and I are interested in living more sustainably, but these days that can be really confusing. Most of us are pretty far removed from the sources of the food that we feed our families, and it's hard to keep up with the latest thinking and practices around things like packaging, recycling, and sourcing. Airly is the first ever climate-friendly snack that was developed to remove greenhouse gases from the air, making it really easy to make a difference with just one small change. Megan, I love this. The way I see it, your family is going to snack anyway. So what if you could invest in a snack that's earth-friendly and delicious? And so Airly has done this in two ways. First of all, Airly crackers start with 100% wholesome oats and grains that are farmed in a way that helps remove CO2 from the air and sequester it in the soil. And Airly invests in other agricultural and forestry projects that also help remove greenhouse gases from the air. So their production and transportation footprint is already really low, but then they take the additional step of purchasing carbon credits to offset what's left. That means that each box of Airly crackers removes between 18 and 21 grams of CO2 from the air. Yeah, so cool. And the crackers are really good too. And they're in flavors that will please you and your kids. Cheddar, chocolate, salted caramel, and sea salt. My personal favorite is the chocolate. And the cheddar really tastes a lot like the cheddar cheese crackers your kids are probably already used to eating meaning transitioning to early snacks won't be a hard sell for your kids. So this episode is all about small, sustainable changes you can make in your kitchen to lessen your family's impact on the earth. And of course, one of the biggest things that happens in your kitchen is snacking. So we're really excited to partner with Airly to help you lessen your impact on the earth while also doing what you'd be doing anyway, feeding your kids. We've got a great deal for you. 20% off Airly crackers when you use the code MOMHOUR at airlyfoods.com. That's A-I-R-L-Y foods.com. And keep listening. We'll talk a little bit more about Airly later in the show. Okay, Sarah, we're both going to share some areas where we've made positive changes and stuck with them where we're doing okay. And then let's also offer one ridiculously small thing listeners can do if they'd also like to try to improve in this area. So Sarah, you go first. Okay. So I think something that has been a focus for us the last several years, maybe even close to a decade, is just not relying on paper towels and napkins, paper napkins in the kitchen as much and not never. So for where we have landed on this is I have a roll of paper towels on the counter. I do not have paper napkins anywhere in my kitchen. Those are not that I get them out for picnics and barbecues and stuff. But the paper towels are on the counter. Um, And really, this started for us probably 10 years ago when my kids went to Montessori preschool and the preschools would ask that we send a cloth napkin for the kids and they taught the kids how to spread the napkin out on the table and it became their little placemat. They teach them how to clean up messes. And I just kept doing that into elementary school. So I always had inexpensive, small cloth napkins around. And it's funny, Megan, I've gotten so many emails we have about how I manage cloth napkins in the kitchen from listeners that I feel like it seems more mysterious than it is. And I think maybe the reason is people think of cloth napkins as 
being for your fancier, you know, when you've got the table set really nicely with a tablecloth and they just don't know how to do it in a casual everyday way. So for us, I've just bought like a 12 pack of really inexpensive cloth napkins. And the one that I use most for the kids lunches, I like them because they're a little bit smaller. It's not like a giant, you know, you unfold it and it's like huge. It's really small. They fold up easily. And they're, they're not cute. They're not a cute pattern. They're not, some of them have holes in them. So it's very (laughs) utilitarian. And I mentioned that only because you might have an image in your mind of cloth napkins. And I'm telling you, mine are not glamorous or fashionable. They are purely for not using paper napkins. And then we have some that maybe look a little nicer that we'd use around the dinner table, but, um, cloth napkins for sending them in the kids' lunches, using them for anything we need in the kitchen has been great. And then we also just don't use paper towels for cleaning up messes. We use um, just rags like the bar towels that you can buy. And I I just have an easily accessible basket of cleaning rags. They don't get folded. They just get washed and put back in the basket. And so I might reach for a paper towel here and there, but I really, the, the kids have been mostly trained and we really try to avoid using paper towels unless there's just a very specific reason. And so it's not a hundred percent, but it's probably a 80, 20 or a 90, 10 situation. And the last thing I'll say, the paper towels that tear in a half sheet have also kind of helped my guilt a little bit with this, because if we do need one I'm literally grabbing half of the size of a normal sheet, because often that is all that's required. Yeah. I love that. And those are great. And another thing is if you do use a paper towel, you can usually use it more than once. Like if you think of it more like a towel, yeah. like, you know, often if you just use it to like wipe up a quick water spill, you can probably also later hit some crumbs with it or something. Yeah. It's yeah. There reminds me when you talk about the basket full of ugly, holy um, napkins, when Jenna um, started using cloth in her kitchen, she kind of had like an all purpose basket for both hand wiping and wiping the counter down or whatever. And for a very long time, cloth diapers were in there. Oh, like a really long time. And now Luna, their youngest, is nowhere near baby age. So those have all been retired, like they got old. But yeah. like the cloth diapers made their way from Luna's butt. Um, eventually, after some washings, they made their way into the kitchen. They were yeah. pretty effective, too. I got I think they're really good for cleaning rags, for sure. Yeah. 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 So then, OK, what you, those are all great ideas. I'm glad that you found yourself in this place. I would love to try all of those things. But like, where's the first small step? I think the first small step is um, because we clean up so many messes as moms. We need so many napkins with our kids. So I think if I had a very first small step, it would be to think about where you reach when there's a little spill, where you reach if there's a big spill, where you reach if someone needs a napkin to wipe, you know, to, to eat a meal and think about the placement of your paper products and the placement of your cloth products. You probably already have both. I mean, in a lot of houses, you probably have options for both. And my guess is that the most convenient thing is going to be the habit changer or the thing that wins out. Um, I actually heard a tip at one point for people who want to go completely paperless in the kitchen to put your paper towels like under the sink and make it really inconvenient. I haven't gone to that level, but I, I would just think where are you storing these things? And is there a way to make the quick reach for the more sustainable, reusable option as as easy as the paper option is currently? Because we're all such creatures of habits. So I guess that would be my first tip. Well, yeah. And sometimes there's going to be something that spills and you just want to get your hands on something that you can wipe up the spill with. And if the paper towels are right there, that's probably what you're going to grab. Right. Love that. I guess my first one would be reducing food waste that continues to be an area of focus for me, both for money, you know, budget reasons and for sustainability. I, we both have a thing about food waste, Sarah. Mm-hmm. Um, but something that seems so simple, like reducing food waste seems like it should be the simplest thing, right? Like just don't throw food away. But really when I started breaking down what you kind of have, like all the uh, things you have to keep an eye on, it's like not buying too much, not cooking too much, um, having a plan for using leftovers, storing food correctly, yeah. both before you cook it and after, because yes. before you cook it, the storing it right is going to make it last longer. And then, of course, after it's going to make it taste better longer. Um, not giving the kids too many easy options for snacks that they're going to fill up on instead of dinner or leftovers. Like there's mm-hmm. so many moving parts and potential tasks. And um, it's just like, there's a lot of ways to get there. But when you think about all the things that kind of have to happen, it can be pretty overwhelming. Absolutely. Do you remember a time when you were wasting a lot more food than you are now? And what what led to that kind of wanting to be more mindful 
Or is it like a seasonality thing? I think it's a seasonality. I think for me, every time there's a major shift in, it's like when the kids all go from loving bagels to hating bagels and it yes. takes mom like three months to get the memo yeah. or like, so there's that. It's like changes in their eating habits, um, changes in our routine. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I get used to the routine and then I figure it out and I get a system in place and then I'm good for like six months and then things get shook up again. So I feel like this is like yeah. a constant, it's not the kind of thing that I think you can set and forget. You'll figure it out and then you'll have to refigure it out. Yeah. So I'm in a yeah. pretty good place right now, but like, uh, you know, three months ago, I would say not so much. Like it's just kind of up and down. Yeah. So what would one small tip be for somebody who wants to start to get a handle on how much food is being wasted? So if you don't do anything else, you need to look in your fridge every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I always laugh when I hear, you know, about appliance companies now coming up with these like smart fridges that tell you things like whether you're almost out of milk and things like that. And I think that sounds so great and it sounds like a time saver. And probably it is if you can stay on top of your fridge enough to like make sure the milk is in the right spot so that the little sensor right. tells you. <laughs> but like you still have to actively manage your fridge. like. If you don't look in it, you don't know what's in there. I mean, that yeah. sounds so obvious, but have like, I'm sure if I asked everyone to raise their hands and said, how many people have gone to the grocery store without looking in the fridge first, mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. of hands would go up because we just get in the, we get in our routines. We don't think about it. And so what you end up doing is you're basically trying to layer a system on top of a mess and that just creates more organized mess. Yeah. Um, so if I'm not like looking in my fridge, if I'm not moving things around, if I don't know what's in that, um, that Tupperware container in the back or like haven't pulled it out to see, or if I forgot what's in the produce bin or whatever, like there's no system that can help me. I have yeah. to look, even if I'm making inventory lists and like really detailed grocery lists and meal plans, I'm not in control of all the little eaters in my house. And yeah. that's been the case for a long time. I mean, maybe when I was like, it was just me and a baby. Um, and maybe like a husband who ate very similarly every day, maybe I could have controlled it a little bit better, but now there's people autonomously eating and (laughs) I can't keep track. So it's literally looking. And Mm -hmm. I will also say that just before we started recording, I was looking for something for lunch and I was standing around my kitchen and I opened the fridge like four times, hoping there'd be something new there. I was like a teenager (laughs) because I really didn't want to eat the last of the pork, apples, and green beans that I made three days ago. I love it. It's like one of my favorite things, but I've already eaten it twice. And I was down mm-hmm. to like the little butt end of the pork tenderloin. And like, you know, the, the green beans yes. are a little soggy now and whatever. And I was like, I just don't want that to be the thing I eat. So I kept shutting the fridge and opening it back up. And I finally was like, okay, I have to accept that that is what there is to eat because mm-hmm. I have purposely, like, I didn't make too much food this week. Yeah. And we kept on top of it. Um, And so I ate it and now I feel pretty good about myself that I ate it, but yeah, look at you, (laughs) look at you. I'm realizing as you talk that I am very good about food waste when it comes to leftovers. And in my mind, I was thinking like, that's it. And then as you were talking, I realized I have a category where I'm not at all great right now. And it's everything that has a a fridge shelf life. I guess it's not a shelf life, but it's a refrigerated shelf life of like a month or longer. So things mm-hmm. like cream cheese, sour cream, salsas, um, open, po- open jars of pasta sauce, things that don't go bad super quickly, but they also like should be consumed within, I don't know, two to four weeks, maybe like maybe a little sometimes longer. Sometimes you don't even know. So like then and you're working with no information. Yeah, exactly. And I will totally <laughs> make the mistake of going to the store and have no idea like cream cheese, especially my kids go in and out of bagel phases. We might not have used it for three weeks, but maybe the seal's still on and it's still good. Maybe it's gone bad in my fridge. So Um, I feel like there's even within looking in your fridge, there's probably areas you have a better handle on. Like for me, that would be leftovers and and basics like milk and eggs and butter. But then like all the jars, I have no idea what's happening with the jars and it. Yeah, it can. You can end up throwing away a lot of food you spent good money on um, if you don't keep a handle on that. So, well, another area where we're doing pretty well is purchasing our produce locally or regionally. Um, And this really stepped up when we moved um, to Santa Barbara a little over a year ago. And I I mentioned that because I just want to acknowledge that there's such different regional attitudes about this. Megan, you also live, I would say, in a very locally conscious and farm friendly area. Mm, So you probably have a lot of this too. You don't have the year round 
growing season like I do. No, we don't. So like it kind of dropped this. We're prime time right now. It'll drop right. off pretty quick. Yep. But I have lived in very suburban areas or very urban areas where there's not a lot of social pressure to buy local. And I just want to acknowledge that we're all um, influenced by social pressures in good and bad ways. And this is an area where when I moved to Santa Barbara, it's a very climate conscious area. It's a very farmer friendly area. So people actively and vocally want to support local farms. Our farmer's market is incredible. Our restaurants try to purchase from local farmers. Like it's just really part of the culture here. And it was not so much in other areas that I've lived. So I'm just saying that out loud because sometimes I think we take more credit than we like. I don't want to take all the credit. I think part of it is that I moved to this place where it's easier and more socially expected to buy local. Um, But the ways that we've done it is um, farmer's markets. Brian likes to go to the farmer's market. I like it, but I, I don't, I don't do it that often. And then we have a weekly farm box that gets delivered. And that really took about a year to figure out how I knew I wanted to do it. I knew I liked the idea of it. And it's a big box of fresh fruits and veggies that gets delivered weekly. What I love is they send me an email telling me what's coming um, about three or four days ahead. And so what I do is I take that email and I pop it into wherever I'm looking at my meal plan or my grocery list. Sometimes it's just even in my calendar or I just keep the email handy so I know what's coming in a few days. And then I've been doing my grocery shopping um, like the day before, one or two days before the farm box arrives. And now we really do have a good system for like, if onions are coming in the farm box, I'm not going to get onions at Trader Joe's. The the only produce I'm getting at Trader Joe's really ideally would be like pineapple, bananas, strawberries, things that like are either more exotic or they're just not always going to come in the farm box. But for vegetables, we really try to just use the farm box to then influence our meal plan. And that took an entire year. So I say that only because it's not an easy undertaking to like, it's easy to say, okay, I'm just going to shop at the farmer's market. I'm going to shop local. I'm going to get my produce from the farm box. But for me, for my brain, it took an entire year to where now I feel like that's clicking within the rest of our grocery shopping, our meal planning, our cooking and our eating and our, and our not food waste. So it's all like it's related. So. So did you say that, you know, what's coming in your box before it comes, or you make those decisions about what you're going to get at Trader Joe's after you pick the box up? No, I know what's coming. So not all of them are like that. (laughs) Just letting people know. (laughs) I know it's really nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I feel like when I, when I used to do it, um, it was like always a surprise and sometimes it was like a real surprise, but (laughs) But I also think that was because, and maybe yours is, yeah, it was sometimes like, like, oh my gosh, how much kohlrabi can I possibly use? But ours was a CSA. Is yours a CSA or just like a farm box? Like, are I think you it's a farm box. I think I, a portion of like the harvest. No, I think you would call mine a farm box. I think I've used those terms interchangeably. Um, and I think it, they're, okay. they're not. So, yeah. Yeah. So I think with ours, it was like, I don't know. We don't need to get too much into the like nitty gritty of it, but it was kind of like you bought, you paid to get a portion of whatever the harvest was. And it was sort of like, you know, take it or leave. Well, don't leave it. You have to take it. You mm-hmm. have to take it with you. Um, but that did make it a little more challenging to plan, but I could still see how you could use your plan like in reverse, like your small step would still work in reverse. You would just have to get the box and then make your, you know, your other shopping plan. Okay. So what then, because this does sound more complicated. And again, we're not trying to make things complicated at all. <laughs> so what is then that very first little step? Well, I actually think just Googling your area and finding out what's available could be a, a you, you maybe won't take any action. And maybe it's that your area, it's harder to shop local. And um, I think that's okay to just say, you know what, this isn't the step for me right now, because there's not an easy way to do it. And then you don't feel guilty about it anymore, because you've, you've done your research. So I would say Google it. And when you Google, look for CSA programs, like you said, Megan, um, farm stands, farmers markets, but also there are sometimes um, produce markets or growers. We had one called Growers Direct, um, where they look like a regular grocery store, but they are sourced and stocked mostly locally. So I would say literally just Google what's available in your area if this isn't something you've looked into um, and just start there. Yeah, that's a great idea. Okay, so what's one more in your kitchen, Megan? Well, we finally bought a hunk of a cow, a quarter cow. Um, I did that, you know, back, gosh, I think it was like in the spring with Eric. And actually we ended up splitting, I believe we split a half 
with John and Jenna. So maybe John and Jenna took a quarter and Eric and I each took an eighth. I can't remember now how we divvied it up. This is something I have literally been wanting to do for like 20 years or more. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm also, in, in addition to that, I've been continuing to buy meat at a local farm that raises its animals humanely and healthily and in a way that I feel good about. So this has just been like coming for so, so long, but I way overthought it. And I took it like to the nth degree in my head. Like I was thinking I had to research every possible farm, like meet the farmers beforehand, meet the cow beforehand (laughs) and make sure it was being massaged every day or something. And, you know, when you take it to that extreme, that's great in theory, but when it means you never actually do the simplest thing, which is like, go buy the grass fed local cow beef that you just want. That's not that hard to buy. It, it kind of becomes a little self-defeating. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, so how has it been going using the meat, like going back to your food waste? It's been pretty easy. So, I mean, it came frozen. So um, that helps, right? So I have it all in the freezer. It didn't take up as much space as I thought it would. So that's just something to think about. Like I have a, a standard sized side-by-side fridge freezer, which is not, not my favorite kind to have. I feel like the freezer is like the worst of all worlds because yes. it's super narrow and I don't know. I don't love it, but um, it easily accommodated all of the cow I got and still had room in there for like the frozen waffles and frozen veggies and things like that, that I also want to have in my freezer. So. Um, Then I just started kind of like freezer shopping more than I had been because in my mind, I switched to if I need, if I want beef, I look in my freezer. Like it it was just a mindset shift. I don't put on the shopping list anymore. I look in the freezer first. And then if I'm out of a cut or want something I don't have anymore, then, you know, I'm kind of at the point now where I'm out of ground beef. I'm out of a few of the other cuts that I was, that I use a lot. So I am now back to having to really be a little more careful, but it hasn't, it's been pretty easy, honestly. That's great. And then the, the market that I go to, that's like a, you know, it's more, it's a market at a farm at a local Mm -hmm. farm that has like everything. So they have, they have beef and pork and chicken. And so that kind of supplements the other stuff, which sometimes means I don't have access to chicken or pork when I want it. And I have to go, okay, well, I have all this beef. So what am I going to make with beef instead? Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's just, a, it's just a mindset shift and it takes a little, it takes a little time. And, and like you said, sometimes you, it takes a while to get your systems together and that's okay. Right. So if someone, I mean, purchasing part of a cow to me sounds very overwhelming. So if someone wanted to get started, do you have a small step, like a small first step? Well, first of all, let me tell you, you don't have to hunt the cow. <laughs> Or meet it or pet it. <laughs> you don't have to meet it. You don't have to pet it. You don't have to name it. You don't have to hunt it. Um, so I guess these, two, I'm, I'm going to give you two micro tips because they kind of go together. And one of them really plays into what you were saying about, you know, just Googling. So just choose a farm. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to meet every criteria. If your goal is to move away from buying everything at the grocery store and toward buying things more locally or more that, you know, or farmed differently, or mm-hmm. just whatever your goal is, um, you might not land on the perfect choice the first time, but you're going to change that mindset. So yeah. go to the farmer's market and browse the stalls. Like so many farmer's markets nowadays have people selling. If they're not selling it right there, they often, you can get their literature and take it home. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, the little markets that they have, the indoor markets or outdoor markets sometimes that have, they might have meat, um, localharvest.org is a great site for looking up CSAs and sometimes CSAs have meat. So I want to make sure to mention that. So you can find a farmer in your area selling meat, um, mm-hmm. pick one that's easy to get to mm-hmm. and that, you know, doesn't have weird drop off hours or like, yeah, d- like just pick one that's easy and just be done with it. And then if that's still overwhelming, just choose one kind of meat that you can start sourcing locally. I mean, it is kind of overwhelming to think about buying a quarter cow, especially if you're not familiar with all the different cuts and you don't know if you want, you know, round steak, or maybe you don't want to deal with a brisket, whatever it is. Uh, maybe you're not sure if it'll fit in your freezer. That's fine. But a lot of farms will sell specific cuts, or you can start with ground beef, or you can start with just chuck, chuck roast, or you can start with just pork shoulders, whatever it is. You can start with eggs. And I will say like local eggs were like my gateway drugs to local meat. Yeah. Because a lot of the same farmers that sold local eggs also sold local meat. And so I was able to kind of bridge that gap between, I was already shopping a lot for local produce, um, but it kind of bridged that gap for me. So those kind of go together, but just make, just make it as small and just pick and do something. Yeah. And I, I'm going to add a tip that ties my local produce and your local meat together. 
which is if you are a user of social media, if you're already on Instagram and Facebook, follow those local small farm or small produce or farmers markets or whatever they look like in your area, follow their social accounts, even if it's just for a couple months and you may choose to like, you don't need that in your feed constantly. I actually learned a lot and felt so much more kind of connected to these farmers feeling like they really are just down the road from me. And the ones near me are, they're really making an effort to be part of the community and they have cool partnerships with local schools and so um, if you're already, if your eyeballs are scrolling anyway, I honestly think injecting a little bit of these um, positive habit changes into your social feed, it's like tricking your brain a little because your yeah. brain's going to see the ads for, you know, what did we say? What did we laugh about when we were fed ads for like, you know, a hair product or a shampoo, right. like t- teach the algorithm that you also want to see stuff about sustainable agriculture or local businesses. And I've gotten a lot of just enjoyment out of following the social accounts for my local uh, places. And it's so funny you say that eggs are your gateway to buying local meat because the farm box was my gateway to composting. And I'm going to talk about that uh, in the second half of the show, but yes, it'll, once you're, once you're in, then just your eyes are open. That's a great tip. And the other reason that's such a great idea is because, you know, farmers are busy people. And a lot of them are not sitting around on the internet updating their website calendar all the time. Um, But there's also very natural windows that happen. So like if you want to buy a cow, there's a window in which that cow will be butchered and available for sale. And then that cow is not, it's not like going to the grocery store, right? So sometimes that stuff happens by word of mouth or like there can be like information um, networks that you might not feel like you have access to because you're not in the know Mm -hmm. and following their social really puts you like that's probably where they're going to go first to update yes. the public about a, a, a market where they're mm-hmm. going to be with their stuff or like what they have available or that they've got a butchering coming up or whatever it is. Like that's all going to be there probably on their social before it's going to be anywhere else if they're active there. So that's a great place to feel like you're an insider because you, yeah. you don't want to feel so awkward about it. You don't want to feel like you don't have the knowledge you need. Exactly. Exactly. I love it. Well, Megan, this discussion about creating a more sustainable kitchen has been so inspiring so far. I know I'm getting a ton of great ideas just from chatting with you. So let's talk a little bit more about our sponsor for this episode, Airly Foods. Yeah, we mentioned snacking earlier, and I know that food in general can be one of the trickiest things to get a handle on when it comes to living more sustainably, which is why we were both so excited to have this episode sponsored by Airly. They're the first ever climate-friendly snack that's developed to remove greenhouse gases from the air. And they're really shaking up the world of snacking. This is such a cool concept, Megan, because Airly crackers make a positive difference actually in two different ways. First and foremost, Airly makes its crackers with oats and grains that are especially farmed to remove CO2 from the air. If you're interested in really nerding out on how this actually works, you can find out more at their website, airlyfoods.com. It's actually really fascinating. And on top of that cutting edge, climate friendly or farming technique, Airly helps offset their already limited environmental impact by purchasing carbon credits to offset their production and transportation footprint. Yeah, that is so great. But as we've discussed, food waste can definitely be a big obstacle between the typical family and living more sustainably. Like it doesn't matter how sustainably something is produced if the kids won't eat it and it goes to waste, right? Which is what makes Airly even better. These crackers are really yummy and they're made from wholesome ingredients like whole grain oats and low carbon emissions wheat that's sourced right here in my home state of Michigan. They've got real cheese and real butter. They're certified non-GMO and contain no artificial flavors, colors, gums, or starches. Airly crackers come in four flavors and there's some salty and some sweet. So there's sea salt, cheddar, salted caramel, and chocolate, which tastes a lot like certain dark chocolate bunny-shaped crackers that your kids might be familiar with. So they're really kid-friendly, but also great for mom to snack on as well. I love the sea salt flavor. And we love that snacking on Airly crackers is a small but meaningful change you can make to be more sustainable in your kitchen. If you want to give Airly a try, we've got a great deal for you. 20% off Airly crackers when you use the code MOMHOUR at airlyfoods.com. That's A-I-R-L-Y foods.com and use the code MOMHOUR for 20% off your order. So Megan, we were just talking about your gateway eggs and my gateway farm (laughs) box, but I think this is actually a really cool part of making small changes. This whole episode is about really small, doable changes. But I think when you start to make those, there becomes that flywheel effect where your mindset is already, you're already thinking about those, the local farm. 
And maybe you have more information now and it leads to the next thing. And the wheel is already kind of turning in that direction. So there can be less resistance when it comes to trying something new. So I have to tell you about composting because I never thought I would be composting. I never thought there was a lot of things about where I'm living and a lot of it was not in the plan. But our farm box um, farm started this like, I don't know, it's like a sister company or it's a service they provide that's separate but related where we collect our compostable uh, food. Most of it is our fruits and veggies that we don't use, which makes me feel so much less guilty about food waste. So it's all kind of related. And they we store it in this bucket and they pick it up and take it away when they drop off our farm box. Actually, it's a different day, but it's still like a door-to-door service. So they come by, they pick up the bucket and they take it away. So for me, it's helping me not feel bad about food waste, but then they are doing the composting and they deliver us a bag of dirt, a bag of composted, I guess, do you call it compost? Like the, the product itself, I think is the product is the compost. Yeah. What's left, what's over, what's at the end. (laughs) Right. But it looks like dirt. Um, and that we're building garden beds. And so it's been really cool, but that was all because I was doing the farm box and they, I was on their email list and they said, we're doing this. We had toyed with the idea of starting composting at home and doing it ourselves. And I was super grossed out and overwhelmed. I don't know if you've ever done backyard composting, but I was like about to write it off when this fell into our lap. So I guess I just want to mention that, that often these, these small changes can turn into even bigger lifestyle changes just because you're, you have an awareness that's different. Yeah. Well, and I think there's maybe something else that's going on too. It's like you went through the effort to seek out a farm, like a farm to buy produce from and get your farm box. So you're almost putting more value on that food. It's, it's like Mm, you've now shifted your investment in the food because you're more invested in the food. You don't want it to go to waste. Like you're more concerned about making sure it sees its way all the way through the cycle. And like, I think that that investment makes a big difference. Like if you're just buying whatever and you're not thinking about it too much and you throw it in your fridge and you don't think about it and you don't have that emotional connection to it, it might sound stupid to say like you have an emotional connection to your Swiss chart or, you know, your avocados (laughs) or whatever. But I think that we do, we do invest in the things that matter to us. And when we've invested in one way, we want to keep investing in a different way. So I think that flywheel effect can happen for that reason as well. Yeah. Well, not to uh, bring us down and feel less so proud of myself for composting. We are going to share a couple of areas of kitchen sustainability where we feel like we could do a little bit better. We'd like to do a little bit better and maybe where we need some help with suggestions. So I can go first here. And this is a this is a big one in terms of importance, but I, I need some help. Maybe my fellow, fellow Californians will jump to jump into the rescue. I feel like my water usage, especially in the kitchen, I'm not talking for the moment. I'm not talking about like out in the yard or doing laundry, but kitchen water usage feels out of control is maybe the wrong word, but we are in a drought, a pretty serious drought here in the West. And, um, I grew up in a drought in California and we had all these restrictions. Anyone who grew up in the late eighties and early nineties in California, there were rules and there were all these like things you learned in school about water conservation. (laughs) And then, you know, and then it has ebbed and flowed and I didn't live in California for a long, long time. Well, it's now about to get pretty dire here. And I just don't feel like I know what the rules are, which I know is a very Sarah thing to say, but like I run the water when I'm, when I'm washing dishes, like when I probably don't need to, I do a lot of kitchen laundry. So the, the downside of all my cloth napkins and you know, reusable cleaning rags is that I'm constantly doing loads of laundry, running the dishwasher. And I think where I get stuck is I'm not actually very educated on, I know with water conservation, some things use a ton of water. Some things might seem like they use a ton of water, like keeping your faucet running while you're brushing your teeth or whatever. And I've read that that's actually like a drop in the bucket. Ha ha. Like it's just not, it's not a meaningful change. So I think what I'd like to do better at is knowing what the, the levers are that really do make an impact so that I can just, so I can pick one so I can do one small step and be a little bit better because I feel like I I love washing dishes. I just stand there in the warm waters running and I'm like, or I'll like rinse something longer than I need to. And I just, now I just have this vague, vague California guilt about it. So that's my first one. Well, you might, and I don't know a ton about this either, but one thing I do remember from all of my, like how to live off the grid reading from a long time ago. Um, one thing like, uh, reusing gray water is a thing Uh and you could have your dishes and wash them too, Sarah. Like you, you might be able to wash dishes and then reuse that water in some way. So it's something interesting to look into. 
I need and all then of this another info. thing that I another thing I learned the hard way last year when I had a six hundred dollar water bill mm-hmm. is that if you have a toilet running anywhere in your house, I know that's not, but we are talking about like what are the big drivers, and you might think it's like washing an extra five napkins a day, but really that might be like not making an impact while you might have a like a small leak under your sink or something yeah. that could be using up a lot of water. And I remember the plumber, they actually sent the city out because my house was using so much water and the, um, the city came out and were, they were just like, you would be very surprised at how fast and how much water is lost by some little piece of plumbing in your house, not operating correctly. Something that is yeah. just an annoyance to you, the dripping yeah. faucet, yeah. maybe like a non, um, maybe your washing machine not operating you know, like Efficient, functionally, yeah. efficiently. Yeah. Yes. So those are, I mean, I think that you're right. Like you, you kind of get all freaked out about all the things, but you don't really know, like, what is the thing? Right. You know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I could use some help there. And it's so funny because water is also related to agriculture, which brings us right back yeah. to, um, and I'm not very educated about that either. So it's, it's even quite possible that all of my dishes doing is not really the thing I should be worried about. It's like, you know, all the almond milk I put in my coffee. I don't know. Yeah. Like, well, and that's thinking, <laughs> that's thinking more globally and not so much right. about like your area. Right. But I mean, it all, it all counts. And I just can't wait until the day that Sarah has a big compost bin and a rain barrel right next <laughs> to each other in her backyard. And she's like traipsing around the backyard with chickens, uh-huh. you know, pecking at her feet, harvesting my fig tree. Yep. Yes. In, <laughs> in your long Laura Ashley dress. I That's mean, we're halfway there. Have of you. In the last 14 months, like that linear continuum has gone a lot farther than we thought. So Things I don't have know. gotten really real. Okay. okay so how well, about you? mine is super specific. My first one. Um, it's more like, but it is something that it's a, it's an area where I do well sometimes and it affects everything. And then I do poorly and it affects everything. And that is like the little things that add up. So when I get in that lazy or busy mode and I don't take my canvas bags to the grocery store for like seven months at a time, mm-hmm. or I get really sloppy with recycling, um, it just, it's not like it's that much more work to do it the more sustainable way. Like it's not harder necessarily for me to take my bags to the store with me, but I just forget. And then once I'm out of that routine, I don't, it's really hard to get back in it. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I just, I know that for me spending more time in the kitchen, paying attention, making my space neat and tidy. And again, that emotional investment in my space really helps. Um, so this is an area, I don't know that I need a lot of advice. I think it's more like, I just need to want it. I need to want Mm -hmm. to interact with the pieces and parts that make my kitchen run. And the more I want to be there, the more I understand about what's happening below the surface. And then the more I take those little steps, um, to make that happen. And I, I just want to add a little tip here because actually this came from Isaac and it made me laugh. Um, we have, you know, we moved in this old house and it's got the built in, it's got like some older cabinetry and one of them, I don't know if it's like the original or if it's newer, but it's now like a slide out, a slide out trash and recycling bin, mm-hmm. which took me a long time to get used to. I could, I didn't even know they were here for like the first three months I lived here and I was putting recycling in a totally different place than when my mm-hmm. kids was like, mom, it's right there. So anyway, it's kind of janky. It like stuff kind of falls over the back of it. And if mm-hmm. you overspill it, it gets stuck. And it, like the, the wheel, the um, wheels aren't operating like very smoothly right now. And I fight with it all the time. So I was starting to just throw recycling in the trash because I didn't want to deal with it. And Isaac comes in the kitchen one day, he's like, you know, mom, you don't have to keep it in there. He's like, you could just take it out and put it over here. And then we could all throw our recycling in it. And it's so funny that he had to point out that I'm allowed to use my kitchen how I want. Yeah. And like, I am not like beholden to the person who originally designed the organizing system in my kitchen. And so we moved the little plastic liner just to a different, I have a huge kitchen. There's plenty of space. Mm -hmm. We just put it in a different little area and now we're recycling again. Wow. So It's the little things. Again, it's like it, about that ergonomics sometimes. Like the yes. little ergonomic changes can make a huge difference. Yeah. 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 So anyway, that's not something I don't know. That I feel that feels a little bit like weak and as far as an area I'm not doing super well. But I would say I'm I'm back I'm getting back on track of just paying attention. 
Yeah, and I think what I, what I'm hearing you say is that when when you fall off the wagon, so to speak, it's sort of in a general way across many categories, and when you get back on, it feels good. So you're just yeah. in that that that's the the momentum or the inspiration to get back on. Yeah, it's like the small step is caring, and then somehow once I care and pay a little bit of attention, then other like a lot falls into place relatively quickly. Yeah. Well, here's one that I'm not sure how exactly to go about getting better at, but this is leveling up for me. And I, again, I live in an area where people are pretty into sustainability and um, we order quite a bit of takeout and or like get to go food at a restaurant to maybe go on a picnic, stop at a coffee shop after school. Like we actually, um, as since it's been safe to do so, we make pretty good patrons of our local coffee shop and restaurant scene. And that in large part grew out of the pandemic, right? Like wanting to yeah. support local businesses, um, not eating out in restaurants as much, but I am noticing the amount of trash it creates. And, um, it's both, it's a financial decision for sure. And I've been in phases of my life where there's no way we could have, you know, done that. But now we're, the finances feel less a part of the decision, but the waste feels like not great to me. So like, for example, you go like you get, we're going to get sandwiches and go take them to the beach. And it feels like a very positive, wholesome thing for the family to do. And yet I, I really don't like how much trash is involved. So I'm not sure how to solve that. I know some restaurants and coffee shops are really conscious about what type of containers they use. And so I am starting to try to pay attention a little bit more. I'm not saying I'd boycott like our favorite burger place because they use styrofoam clamshell like containers, but I am starting to try to pay attention a little bit. Um, I definitely want to start bringing my own coffee mug if I go to a coffee shop, which feels very like California hippie of me. I feel like it's like part of my (laughs) overall transformation, but people do that here. You couldn't do it in the pandemic, but it's pretty commonplace to like bring your mug into the coffee shop. I could do that. Um, And we've started saving. There's I think it's California Pizza Kitchen when we get um, takeout that their containers are really good for reusing. And I really like them. So they become part of our Tupperware drawer. So I'm not really sure what to do with that. It just it's like a bummer to me that something that otherwise has felt like a positive just creates a lot of trash and a lot of food waste, if I'm being honest, because we also tend to like throw away half sandwich here and there. So I don't know. Yeah. Well, you know, I have to laugh about your the California hippie comment, because when I was a kid in the Midwest in the 80s, my mom saved clamshell foam containers. (laughs) She even saved the little trays that meat comes on. Mm -hmm. So like, think about that raw meat. She would just wash it really, really well. And then we would use it for like craft supplies. I remember putting paint on them. Like, yes, I saved some of those things from not meat, not raw meat, but there's other Trader Joe's ones that make great paint palettes. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Well, and maybe it's also like balancing. So you said, you know, that there's like the places that do offer that, that do think about that, that are really being careful already. And those are probably Mm -hmm. also the kind of places where if you walked in with your own like little canvas bag or something or or whatever, they'd be totally happy to put it in that container for you. And then you've got the burger joint where I just don't know how it would work to put someone's sloppy, like homemade burger, <laughs> you know, in your little cloth bag. It's Here, probably can you put it on my plate. I brought my own. plate. <laughs> yeah. Um, but maybe it's more like that. Like maybe the ratio shifts a little bit where it's like you just like reduce the number of the ones that you have to kind of like shrug and go. This is just how it is. Yes. And and like balance it with the ones that where you do have a little more control. I will also say around here, a lot of coffee shops and places have not gone gone back yet to letting you bring in your own mug. Oh, really? Things like that. It's like that change became permanent. And I really, it really bothers me. So I hope, I hope it shifts back soon. I think it has just recently come back here. And I like what you're saying. I think, I think an awareness would be first. And anytime you can say, oh, I don't need a bag. Thank you. And so maybe, maybe I take the clamshell containers, but I don't take the plastic bag. So I think this is an area where it's just my awareness and, and the little, just the little things and just not sweating the rest. And, you know, I've also gotten better over time about like sharing food. I know that that doesn't always work when like, you've got a family of kids who don't all want the same kind of sandwich, but like, you know, there's nothing in the, in the rule book that says you can't have half a sandwich. So it's like there's it's but it's like thinking about it and like not overthinking it, just doing the thing that makes the most sense, like with whatever outing you want to have today, like maybe not trying to have like every one of those situations figured out, but just figuring out the one today. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sure other people will have actual ideas that um, are like actually practical and probably centered more around containers and things. So I would love to hear those as well. Well, I have one last one that I I'm trying to do better in. And it's kind of like, again, it's, it's less about a certain practice and more about information. So um, I was actually very interested in sustainability when my oldest kids were really little. So we're talking like 21, 22 years ago. And back then there wasn't nearly as much out there. Like there weren't all these green eco-friendly um, stamps on food, for example. Mm-hmm. There wasn't the marketing around it. There wasn't all the like greenwashing, as they call it, mm-hmm. where, you know, we're, we're not really sure. So it was harder um, logistically more difficult to make sustainable choices, but it was simpler because there was just a really clear line. You were either like buying this mass, you know, mass farmed um, stuff that was just very, very mainstream, or you were really going out of your way to buy sustainably and greener. And now it's all become kind of muddy. And that's great in some ways because it's so great that you can go to the grocery, like the regular supermarket, even my kind of dinky regular supermarket and find a lot of sustainable options. That's awesome. But then you're never really sure. Like mm-hmm. it's like you you know you're sitting there reading all the packages and then like you said Sarah, you don't really know what moves the needle. We don't really right. know like I don't I I'm still confused about whether there's really a difference between paper and plastic bags at the market. Um and there remember there was like kind of a lot of yeah. back and forth debate about like which one was better. I think we all just agree that like you know reusable is better. Right. But what if you don't have a reusable bag that day? You're going to make that choice anyway. So um, even things like standards around like organic certification has changed. I think it's become more loose and lax over the past couple of decades. So I think just becoming a little bit more educated, like not going way down the rabbit hole um, like I used to feel like I needed to do. I think that can be very paralyzing and I just don't have the time right now. And there's way too much out there to consume now. It's like there's too many sources of information but just like the top level magazine <laughs> article version of what matters right now would really help me better understand which choices make the biggest impact so that I can relax about the other ones. And just like I have not I have not consciously done that in quite some time. And I think it would both help me relax a little bit and probably inspire me in other ways and also just like help me know what little steps to start with. I love that. And I love that magazine article analogy because you're right. Like you and I both like to know how things work and we like to know all the details and that if it's going to get in the way of doing, of taking action, then sometimes you actually want, like, just give me, like, don't even, don't tell me the implications of every decision. Just give me the magazine. The magazine article version is a great way to put it. So. Well, Sarah, this has been such a great conversation and I'm really excited to try some of these ideas we've talked about for creating that more sustainable kitchen. Me too, Megan. And like we've pointed out several times, it's not about making huge sweeping changes overnight or beating yourself up if you don't do everything perfectly. Those small changes really do add up and make a difference over the long haul. And what I'm really realizing from this conversation is that so much of it is just about creating habits and routines that help keep us on track. We definitely want to thank Airly for sponsoring this episode. And we want to give them a nod as one of those small habits that can add up to a big change. Airly's cutting-edge farming techniques blended with their commitment to helping the environment by investing in carbon offsetting is really revolutionary, but for us, it just makes sense. By switching to a more sustainable, earth-friendly snack, you can make a difference to the environment doing what you'd be doing anyway, feeding your family. Yes, thank you to Airly for making this so easy on us. If you want to give Airly crackers a try, don't forget that great deal we have just for you. 20% off Airly crackers when you use the code MOMHOUR at airlyfoods.com. That's A-I-R-L-Y foods.com and use that code MOMHOUR for 20% off your order. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back with you on Tuesday with another all new episode. Talk to you then. The Mom Hour is supported by partners like Erica. Erica is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug when they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. Erica was built by a dad of three boys who saw that teens themselves were really becoming self-aware to the risks of social media, and he wanted to help them self-regulate. Erica works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. 
Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E R I K A dot A P P, and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. The Mom Hour is brought to you by partners like Chatbooks. Chatbooks makes it beyond easy to create beautiful photo books by importing your digital photos from anywhere Instagram, Facebook, Google Photos, or directly from your phone. The books come in a variety of sizes with beautiful cover options and binding styles to choose from, and they start at just $15. Plus, we have a great deal just for our listeners. Use code THEMOMHOUR20 to save 20% off your purchase. Just download the Chatbooks app and use code THEMOMHOUR20 to save 20%.